tuning in to the Dig On Doug podcast. And we're going to get live. We're going to get you ready because you're going to be in for an earful, baby. Let's go. Yo, yo, it's Dig On Doug. Dig On Doug. Dig On Doug. It's your number one spot. Dig On Doug. Dig on Doug, dig on Doug, another episode drop. This is Dig on Doug, we speak on things we love, sports, books, and grub. Listen, we know what's up with movies, relationships, dynamites, main event, politics too. In the airways, latest hits, if I like it, then I name it. If I love it, I'll explain it, it's my podcast to play with or experiment. We explore our differences, fact is, we ain't nothing without photosynthesis. So get a load of this, lock in and focus in, informative discussions with substance you can't afford to miss steer you from the shallow pits of hopelessness change your mind state from renting to ownership we on some showmanship set goals and go for it share what i know so you don't have to go through it there's alternatives hope kinds and turns and twists yo it's dig on dub fool you know you heard of this What's up, what's up, what's up, good people? Uh, it is going to be an episode for sure tonight, um, or whenever you're listening to this. Uh, we are recording this currently at uh, in the evening time, but uh, it's going to be a time. So I'm definitely excited. I'm in this uh, Zoom room with three wonderful, wonderful people, um, all influential in my life in some way, shape, and form have made an impact in in my life and who I am and who I will continue to be. So um, you've heard all of them on a uh, previous episode of the Dig on Dub podcast in some way, shape and form. So uh, I'm going to start it off with the with the homie uh, Cam. What's going on, Cam? What's up, world? I feel like that was a, like stereotypical 90s like intro for people when they were figuring out the Internet or like in the early 2000s. What's up, y'all? Uh, Cameron Parker, Dr. Cameron Parker, a.k.a. Cash Campaign, a.k.a. Mr. Meet Your Parents. Um, we are in here with some wonderful uh, representations of Black excellence, and I'm excited to be a part, finally be a part of the Big on Doug podcast. It's been a couple of years. I've known Doug the longest in this room, and so I'm happy to finally be um, in here, ready to speak my mind and share my my perspectives. All right. All right. Uh so I'm in here, the Dig on Doug, host, host of this, this show and creator and everything. We got three doctors in the room. So uh, I'm the patient. I'm going to just go with that. That's that's what is happening. So uh, Dr. Nicole, uh, glad to have you back. What's up, Doug? Glad to be back. <laughs> All right. So that's that. We, we got a special little twist we want to do tonight. So and then, man, um, whenever I always have to introduce him, there's so many accolades. So uh i'm gonna keep it brief but uh mentor brother professor uh hopefully in the future co-collaborator of some things um my guy uh dr matthew powell what's up what's up what's up good to see you all good to be on thank you for having me douglas oh man he won't the full name so So very, very excited about this episode tonight. Um, some of you may have heard a, a episode a while back in season one with Nicole and her wonderful friends, her wonderful group of friends. And so we wanted to do mimic something in that same flavor, a little bit different seasoning and everything, but we're going to get it rolling. So Nicole is actually the mediator for tonight. So she will be hosting the Dig on Doug podcast tonight. 
Um, and then we'll just be getting it flowing and getting it popping. And I'm definitely excited about this. So go ahead and take it over, Nicole. Yeah, Doug, you know, we've been waiting for this for a while. It's been a couple of years since the Black Women Must Die Exhausted episode. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's actually a title of a book, um, but I think it was very salient in the moment. So I, I'm curious to hear kind of the flip side of this, which is why I'm excited to chat with you gentlemen this evening. Um, and not that I think Black men must die exhausted, but rather, you know, the whole point of that moment was to have a conversation about the dynamics between Black men and Black women um, and to hear it from the Black woman's perspective. So I'm trying to hear the Black man's perspective now. And Doug, open the door. Thank you, Doug, for this opportunity. Well, you came up with the idea, so I thank you for the idea. <laughs> I mean, I'm just excited to have conversations. I, okay. There's one thing I know how to do is talk. Um, so I'm curious to hear from y'all educated Black men's perspectives. Um, when you think about the dynamic between Black men and Black women in America, like what is that, what is the picture in your mind when you just hear about that? Because I think there are a lot of different things that come to mind for me at least, but I'm curious to know what comes to mind for y'all. Anybody can go first. Dr. Powell, you want to take that one? Or? Uh, sure, I'll go first. You know, right now, I mean, there's some things that sort of have, have been kind of kind of roiling around in my head and heart recently about about black men and black women. And it's, and I, I tend to think about my students first um, before anything. And um, so my, my students are adult age, they're 18 years and older and um, at the college level. And um, my concern really is for the men because the women seem to be doing just fine. And, and I'm not, I don't mean to minimize what black women are going through by any means. But they, but but they're uh, generally when they arrive to me, they, the women, seem to be much more well equipped to handle challenges that come before them, and also more willing to talk about those things. And so that's again part of being equipped to talk about them, um, to um, to also reach out to their professor. It's the women who are reaching out to to me not not enough men and and um so i just my my concern is that there's not enough willingness to be vulnerable on the part of black men that um about anything it, it's it's a it's refreshing when i when somebody is vulnerable anybody um uh, and especially somebody who, uh, for whom I know that it might be difficult or might have been taught that, that being vulnerable is a sign of weakness. So that, that is a big concern for me because these are what I, think I, what I think I'm seeing are habits that have been laid down for years and years that are being played out right in front of me and with me. And then there's the other part about this is that I want to be approached and I tell them, very early on, please use me, approach me, even if it's something that you feel might feel uncomfortable about. So I, I don't know that I have much to say in terms of the dynamic between, but but the but but the individuals that come before me, I feel like I'm seeing something, and I have been seeing this for years now, 
and that it, it's it's um it's shown in the data as well black women graduating at higher rates than black men and um that kind of thing is deeply disturbing to me because i think what it else last thing i'll say about this i think it has to do with as i indicated before about vulnerability i think it has to do with with um our notions of manhood and i think that our notions of manhood need to continue to change and um so that um that men period men in general and black men in particular uh need to start to reimagining themselves and reimagining what manhood is uh, so that they can feel efficacious so that they can feel whole so that they can feel that they can understand that they're that they're beautiful and they can understand that they're worthy and that they can understand and not just understand it intellectually but but put that into practice so that's what i think i'm seeing um but um yeah it's just my perception i agree i agree with <clears throat> i agree with everything that that you just said i feel like um i think i, I kind of take like a bird's eye view of what's going on right now and i look at what you said as being true and then what do i think brought us to that place and i think you know um my dad said something to me we had a conversation a, a long while ago that was pretty powerful and that he said you know the movies that made us that made black culture popular in the early 90s boys in the hood menace to society south central a lot of those movies where people were finally getting a peek into some of the elements of black culture at that time. He told me, he was like, you know, you got to remember those stories are, there are elements of truth in those stories. So there were black men in 1991, 1992, 93, they're growing up without a father in an urban environment, drug infested, you know, and, and those men were 20 years old. Those men had kids. Those kids are now 20 years old and they're being raised by those men. And, um, you know, and uh, again, to speak more on my father, he, you know, I grew up with a father that was very active when I, he said, he said to me when I was, you know, in elementary school, middle school, he said, the older you get, you'll realize the difference in your life between having a father in your life and your friends, not having a father in their lives and not just having a man in the house, but like a father, someone to teach them how to be a man, what it means to be a man. And one of the first lessons that I think I learned speaking to one of your points, Dr. Powell, is that I think what I learned very early on is that being macho does not mean being a man, right? Being the loudest person in the room, being aggressive, being tough, being, you know, imposing your will on other people. It doesn't make you a man. But that's when you don't have a man to teach you that. That's what you think. It's just all testosterone and who's best at sports and who can fight the best and who can do all the cool things. And I learned very early on from my father that that's not what being a man entails. And so, you know, what I, you know, to close my point is, I think what we're seeing now is, you know, the results of some of the things that we were happy that society was respecting elements of black culture in the nineties and the early nineties of the struggle and, and what the crack epidemic was doing and all of those things. We were happy that we were getting a light shone on those things. But what we didn't really pay attention to was like the generation that was going to come out of that, which we're seeing now. We're seeing these young men at 25, 30 years old that are now fathers themselves and they're children of 
the Nino Browns. I watched I watched New Jack City last night, so that's what I'm saying. I don't know why I watched New Jack City last night, but I watched it. But they're children of the Nino Browns. They're children of the, you know, Canes from New Jack City. And like they're the they are the kids of those people that I was watching in movies when I was a kid. And I don't know why I was watching the movies as a kid. But you know, I think what we're seeing now is, you know, black men that are really just I, I said this, I've said this before to some of my friends. If you're trying to figure something out and you don't have a manual, you're just figuring it out by by getting it wrong. And I'm not making excuses for men that aren't behaving appropriately or doing things. But I think what I see most commonly being a person in a position that works with young black males is that they're really just trying to piece it together. Like they're just trying to say, you know, this is what I've seen and I'm trying to do something good, but I don't really even know what that is. And when you get stuck in a point of instinctive behavior, you're thinking, okay, what have I seen the older guys do? What have I seen the cool guys do? What do I see my idols doing? You know, that's what they're doing. So, and and it takes bumping your head to kind of step out of that and say, okay, well, my favorite actor, he has had five super fine famous girlfriends and everybody looks up to him. But the reason why they broke up is because he was emotionally abusive to them. Like he post all their stuff on Instagram and, and shared their stories and their personal private moments. So he doesn't have somebody to look up to, to say, okay, so I should be emotionally vulnerable and respect the privacy of my relationship. No one tells him that. So, you know, I just think we're just lacking that role model in black culture, which I think we've lacked honestly for like two generations at this point we've lacked because I'm going to get, I'm going to get, philosophical i'm gonna get conscious brother and say i think it was designed to remove the black male from the household i think if you remove the black male from the household you topple a lot of things for men women and children going forward if you and my dad said that he was like and he my dad said he grew up on welfare and there was a law that said if a man was registered at your address you could not receive government assistance so my grandmother did not allow a man to live in the house so she could receive government assistance. And so no man was living in the house when my dad grew up. And that to me is like systemic racism. You know what I'm saying? It's keeping us down. So, but yeah, I think we're lacking that male role model for sure. Can I say, can I say Douglas real quick to that last point, you know, um, that speaking of the institutionalization, that kind of stuff is in some in some ways been brand marketed because i'm thinking about things like thinking about shows back in the day like good times and um some movies maybe maybe some uh i wouldn't call them black exploitation movies but some other movies maybe from like the 70s and 80s that's where i learned about that phenomena dr parker about that you couldn't receive government aid if you had a man around so that kind of stuff that's where i learned about it and my parents had already been divorced. So to 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 think to to uh, the, the, just the thought that that is institutionalized in in movies, and that that's how I'm start how I learned a little piece of not black culture, but because I'm not going to call it black culture, but something that has been imposed upon us. Mm-hmm. That kind of thing I think is really powerful. Yeah, um, I mean, Cam, you touched on a bunch. Uh, Matthew, you touched on a bunch. Cam, um, actually, Tank actually 
addressed that actually recently in a uh, on a podcast he was on with a uh, uh, Noriega and them. I think Drink Champs or whatever. He touched on that about how that development was to to take the man out um, and all of that stuff of the household. And then it was also funny is you talked about having a roadmap. Nicole, I believe on the episode we did with your friends, we talked about having a blueprint to 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 anything like in the sense of having a blueprint of how do I build the, the foundation of whatever I'm trying to build where social capital is. Having somebody who can give you, in a sense, a a blueprint of, okay, here's how you build the foundation of something, the first the first story of something, and then you can maybe figure out how to build out your, your second floor or your third floor. Um, so it's really this 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 blueprint, um, and then also just touching on the piece of not growing up with the man in the house, like that was me. So losing my father, when really still learning all the ideology of what it really meant to be me younger. I didn't really understand what it meant to be a black male. I, I in a sense knew what that meant in the sense of sports, you know, a dominating figure. I mean, I'm six foot four um, and all of this stuff, but to really understand the roots, I understood some of the branches, but I didn't understand the roots. And because that wasn't really taught in the sense of, of fully to me. Um, it wasn't until I, I met uh, the wonderful Mr. Mr. Powell. When and if you talk to mostly any like male or or, or female, when did they learn real African American history? It's usually at the college level. So you got to think you're getting your roots super later in life. So so much development, eighteen years, nineteen years, twenty plus years, is being you're you're getting American culture, which is toxic. I won't say toxic because I'm not a big fan of the word toxic anymore. Dysfunctional in so many different ways so but when we look at the dynamic nicole like you touched on of the the black male and the black uh woman i see it's in the sense of loss of culture in the sense of technology um and like cam was touching on with movies and all this stuff what things are influencing us um i mean you have so many people regardless of racial background it's one of their favorite shows is friends and so what is that really teaching you in the dynamic of relationships and how to be intimate and 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 matthew touched on it that that vulnerability and and willing to be open and vulnerable if you're always fighting against maintaining your tough exterior you're never going to be able to be vulnerable and in the sense i remember a jay-z um interview where he talked about somebody seeing him and it's like in in the in the hood and he's like okay do you see me or do you see me see me and because then if you see me, see me of the hurt and pain that's in there, I'm going to have to do something because I don't need you to be trying to tell that to anybody. So it's this act of violence. So you don't know that I'm hurt and in pain and all this stuff, because for most men, the 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 outlet of pain isn't talk about it, isn't process it, it's damage something. It, it doesn't go to it doesn't go to fix. It doesn't go to heal. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's this real notion of like, oh, okay, and that's what the model is. And and a great caveat as as I tied this up so we can we can move on. The new Kendrick Lamar album and uh, the We Cry Together song is so impactful in the sense of a couple, take a typical black couple, hood, all that stuff you want to go, and how you can attack each other so violently, like belittle each other so violently at the height of all this stuff, name calling everything to the worst thing of worst, talking about moms and all this stuff. 
And then you get to the end and you make up and you want to be this intimacy, but it's not true intimacy. It's just like, God, like we're, we both just shot each other. Let's just hug each other now. It's like you're both bleeding out, but let's hug each other and try to keep each other to warmth. And, and, and I don't know if Kendrick did this on purpose, but I think he did. Because if you take the OJ's We Cry Together, it's a completely different song. It's about two people not knowing what's going on in life. Let's lay in bed and cry together and try to figure this out. And so as the artist that I, in a sense, think who he is, I think he did that on purpose. But a lot of people don't know the OJ's We Cry Together. Okay, we're bringing in the musical references. I like um, So kind of piggybacking off of something that Dr. Powell said about vulnerability and the definitions of masculinity. I feel like I've, I've seen a few different conversations on both sides of the coin of whether um, the black male brand of toxic masculinity, I know you said you don't like that phrase, Doug, but whether there's a it's there's a unique um, level of toxicity to the 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 kind that that black men bring to the table. So I'm just curious to know what you all have to say about that toxicity in the black male community. I even had a friend recently post a poll on his Instagram asking if he was toxic. And I said no, but then I saw when I saw the answers, it was like hella people said he was toxic. I was like, um, can you explain this? So what do y'all think? What do y'all think about that? I'll jump, I'll jump in here real real quick. I'm gonna just say real quick, I'm gonna just say real quick, I used to be toxic. Go ahead, Doug. <laughs> and I was raised with a whole college educated dad and a mom and everything. And and yeah, my parents are separated, but they still raised me right. And I was toxic for a good portion of my life. Continue, Douglas. <laughs> um, I mean, Britney Spears had a song "Toxic" and everybody loved it, so I put that, I put that out there. Um, I I think one of one of the reasons I don't like the terminology "toxic" is one, I think I think it's overused, but then I think also it's more so because toxic you just you just need to get rid of something like you like toxic you like in a sense no no shut can't but like. Even liquor, like when you drink it, it's toxin to the body. So it's trying to get out as quick as it can. So it will get out as quick as it can. If that's going to the bathroom, if it's coming up the other way. So, but the thing is, I go for more dysfunctional because some people, like Cam said earlier, some people are just going off the things that they know, the playbooks that they know. Like, and that's honestly what they have. And I I get what your what your friend was doing, Nicole, but it's like also, what is somebody's definition of toxic? Because what is somebody's definition of healthy? And and you ask a lot of people, like, what would a healthy relationship look like? They can't even define that. So, but we can, through television and all this stuff, the glorification of toxic masculinity and toxic relationships and all this stuff, people can say it, but they, a lot of people don't identify what that means to them. What does really being toxic mean? That's why I really go to dysfunctional because maybe that's the only playbook like somebody has. If somebody's just, if somebody just knows how to make top ramen, you can't be like, oh, you're a toxic person because you don't know how to make top ramen and you need to make better food for me. They didn't learn. Now, if now if they if they perpetuate the situation of continuing to do that, even though they've learned better habits, that's when we really have a problem. And I think that's when we got to go deeper. And one of the problems with social media is it glorifies things, but it doesn't get to the depths of things. 
because we really love to like just eat something real quick and be like, yep, that's the answer. That's the solution. Nope, nothing else. But when there's so many more layers that you need to dig down to in the sense of what this toxic person is, it's so hard to, in this society of what we're in nowadays, to give somebody grace into them just mis misfunctioning the things that they learned in life. And me and Matthew were just recently talking about this, learning to unlearn all the crap that we've had in our backpack. Like just I like I said, like most people, if somebody said I was toxic, would say, and they're like, oh, well, you probably had a toxic background and all this. I was like, I didn't grow up with my dad. So a lot of this stuff I've learned through observation, through TV, through movies, through watching people, all of that stuff. So like it's so easy. We want to say A put A, A, B, C, and D all go together. So that's it. But it's like, what's the true definition? And I bet if you ask a lot of people what toxic really means to them. You can't. You got some people who can't define success for their own life. So, like, lo and behold, they try to define what toxic means and what's what that really means and what does that look like in their life. I'll give you. I'll give you an example of of many toxic, and I'll give you some background on it. So, this was like a younger a younger me. Um, to me, this is a young a, Thundercat. Yeah, Thundercat. Y'all know Thundercat Cam. If you, if you don't know Thundercat Cam, go watch my short story, um, Fast Food Mondays. Um, anyway. Um, so I would be the type. So my parents separated officially. They divorced when I was 10 years old. So, you know, relationships don't just end the day the divorce is final. So my parents was probably separating from the time I was eight until the time I was 10 when the divorce was final. So I always tell my parents this and, and, and they were shocked to hear this, but I don't remember my, my bio, like, I don't remember my parents being affectionate towards each other. Like, I don't remember my parents acting like they liked each other. Like, they were like, that's my dude. That's my girl. Like, she's so fine. Like, I don't remember none of that. So my affection in relationships comes from a desire to want what I didn't see in my life. Like, I, I don't like PDA all up in front of people doing all that stuff. But, like, the affection I want to see from my partner in my private personal life is because when I grew up, I didn't see my, I don't remember. I'm not saying they did it. I don't remember seeing my parents holding hands, coming home with flowers, you know, rubbing shoulders and backs and doing romantic things. I have one romantic memory of my parents and my dad actually bought my mom a car for her birthday. And the reason I remember that is because I went to the dealership with them when he was doing the paperwork and all that stuff. And I remember having to keep that secret. Like, don't tell your mom we, we bought this car or whatever. That's the only thing. And they were married for the first 10 years of my life. And I, from the time I first started having memories until the time I, they separated, I don't remember it. So what I will say is my first idea of what a relationship, and this is going to sound funny. And I think maybe I might've said this to Doug or Nicole, but like my first idea of a relationship was watching Boy Meets World and seeing Corey and Topanga. That's what I first saw. As like, yo, I want to be in love like that. Like, that's how I want to be in love. Like that endearing, like up, down, in, out, still working it out, whatever. But we back, but we making it work. Like all of it, like I want to be in that. And nothing bad really ever happened. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it was like they were really, like they really loved each other. And they got married at like 19. And it was like, you know, and like that was my idea as a black man in America of love and keep in mind Corey and Topanga as much as I loved them they wasn't black 
right? Like that's not what black people were doing on TV in the 1980s. <laughs> so this is an example leading you up to what I would consider me being t- like, I'm not going to give y'all all my, my, my dirty laundry. I'm going to give you all my <laughs> positive example, right? So let's say I'm in a relationship and the person I'm in a relationship with does something that I don't disagree, that I disagree with. Maybe it's not something terrible, but maybe they said something to me. They went somewhere. I didn't want them to go. They, you know, whatever. We got into it, whatever, whatever. I remember specifically one time, like texting and like having a text message conversation. And, you know, it gets a little, it gets a little fiery. So you want to get on the phone. We weren't around each other. So I was like, you know what? I'm not answering my phone. I want you to know I got my phone, but I'm not going to answer it. Like, I'm not going to answer my phone. You know, I got it because eventually I'm texting you back sporadically, but you calling me, you're calling my phone and I'm not answering. And then 10 minutes later, I'm texting you back. So, you know, I got it. That's toxic because it's petty. You could just have a conversation. You could just do all that. But I'm not going to say which parent taught me this behavior, but (laughs) You know, I, I I seen some petty behavior growing up. And so I had to realize as a grown man and especially as a man who now has a wife and, and children that this is this is a beautiful lesson that somebody I don't remember. I know it was a man, but I don't remember who it was that taught me this lesson. They said, when you play stupid games, you win stupid prizes. Mm. That changed my life. You play stupid games, you win stupid prizes. So if you want to play stupid games with your partner. You'll win something, but it'll be a stupid fight. That'll that's what you'll win. You'll win the stupid trophy for being stupid. And like it was hard because I was like, okay, my pride and my ego though, because I'm mad. So if I'm mad, you need to understand that I'm mad. But like, what does that do? And not answering the phone, not coming home for extra three hours, like all that stuff, it just feeds the fire. And it's just gonna burn your house down. So it's like. But it's hard. I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll close with this. As a black man, and I have a father, and I'm not disrespecting him. I don't want to disrespect him by saying this. But I, I was never necessarily taught to put the pride aside and work it out. I was never taught that. Like, I was never communicated that lesson to put the pride aside, talk to your woman. Yes, you have a right to be mad. Yes, she might have done something that pissed you off. Yes, there needs to be some changes in this relationship, but you don't need to punish her. You don't need to ignore her. You don't need to, you know, like add fuel to the fire. You need to work it out in a relationship. I was never taught that. So my pride is natural. That's the first thing I was taught. Pride, ego. Oh, yeah. As a man and as a black man. That's my swag. That's my pride. That's what you're talking about. So like I it took me having to do self work, work on myself to understand what do I win if I don't answer the phone? What do I win? I hurt somebody that loves me. I feel good in the moment. My relationship suffers in the long run. So I had to learn that. No one taught me that. I had to learn that. And I just feel bad because I know that other brothers aren't learning it either. They're not. They're not learning it. And I can't be, I don't think it's okay, but how am I going to be mad at this dude 
because I, I can tell you what they're what they're really getting. They're getting verbal instruction from other people to do the wrong thing. I got verbal instruction from a lot of people in my life that if my dad wasn't there, I got dudes telling me, don't call her back. Don't respect her. Don't cuddle with her. Don't do. I literally was told these things by the older guys I was looking up to. So it's like, what am I going to do? I'm going to be 14 and not cuddle. I'm going to be 15 and not, you know, care. I'm not going to buy flowers. Like I was told these things. So I just, I have like empathy for those young men because I know there are guys out there that are doing it wrong, that are telling other young men to do it wrong. (laughs) I feel terrible. It's the truth. You, y'all know it's true. They're doing yes, it. Yes, yes. So, you know, I um, all that all that resonates with me. What it what it takes me back to um, is um, is my father. Um, so my father died a year and three months ago, and um, my and I was ready for it. I was prepared for it had done a lot of work. Every time I was in therapy, uh, my father came up. It was every time. Um, even my, even in my more in martial arts, my more cathartic moments, a lot of it was about, a lot of the energy was around my father. And, and, I, and I wanted to, when, when we mentioned the word toxic and then Douglas said dysfunctional, I really, thought, you know what, I want to go back into the literature. I want to go back and I want to reread post-traumatic slave syndrome. I want to go back and I want to reread my grandmother's hands. I want to also be exposed to more literature around trauma because I spent a lot of years not feeling good about my father and my relationship with my father. Now, here's the thing. My father's black, my mom's white. And so here's this person who, who, when my mother told me, me and your father are going to get a divorce, I'll never forget where I was and when she told me. And I said, good. Because there, my father was acting, first of all, he was abusing her, psychologically for sure, and then toward the end of their relationship physically. And I saw it all happen as the oldest child. And so here I am with this father who is otherwise very successful college degree in four years, got out of college, and then uh, got a job with the Department of Corrections and became, eventually became a prison warden um, throughout Cal- in different parts of California and took me to these different prisons. And uh, so that was all very good education and all this kind of stuff. At the same time, I felt like I had to separate from my father in order to preserve my well-being. Here I am um, because I, fought, I felt my father was, was psychologically abusive to us boys. I have a I have a brother, a full brother and a couple and a half brother and a half sister. And we've talked about this quite a bit. For me, the ultimate irony, and this is a, in part the, the, the thing that kind of came that I processed through as my father was passing. As my when my father was passing, I would drive up to I live in the Bay Area and he was in Sacramento. I would drive up there almost every other day and spend time with him because I was, like I said, I was ready for it. And and I wanted to be there for him. I wanted to love him in any way I knew how as he was passing. I did not hold, I'm not, I wasn't, I had, like I said, I had done some healing. My brother wasn't, wasn't in that space. He was, he's still upset with my father, still mad at my dad. Now here's the thing. For me, 
I don't think it's fair. When I say I want to go back in the literature, I don't think it's fair for me to use the words like toxicity and dysfunction when it comes to a black man. And I think first and foremost about my father, because here was a man who I don't think we, we have that much room to make mistakes, especially when white folks are around. You know how it is. We don't have room to make mistakes. We make one mistake and it's a reflection on every black person who is ever alive ever. Like, you know, it just becomes this and it's this thing that we have to carry around. Yeah. So the other thing, too, is that we think we have to have these images that Dr. Parker was talking about. We, we think we have to uphold these these, you know, sort of like this vision of what it's supposed to be to be a black man. We're not even sure what it is to be a black man or a black woman unless we sit down and have these type of conversations. I will tell you that my white mother was the one who has, has basically been, she's the one who exposed me to, do you know who Cornel West is? Did you check out the, the have you, when I, went to, when I went to my undergraduate, have you gone to uh, the, uh, the black, do they have a black student union? Have you gone to the black and found the black professors? Have you, my father never did anything like that. Yet, he was a person who was integral, of course, to my blackness and to teaching me what it meant supposedly to be black and my connections to my extended African-American family, which is priceless, priceless. I just talked to my 85-year-old cousin out in Cleveland today. We had this beautiful, beautiful conversation. And I told her something about my father. And what did she say? She said, that's Mama Powell, my father's mother. Because through my father's death, I was able to see that my father is not just my father. My father is Mama Powell's son. And that even though I held Mama Powell in the highest regard, we have this also also had a wonderful relationship. She was, you know, we, we would talk all the time, all the time. She was so happy to have a historian in the family and this kind of stuff. And so we would share books and she had a memory like a steel trap and knew her. But I knew her when she was in her 60s and then into her and then and then, you know, 101, almost 102 when she died. So I knew her for those 40 some odd years. I didn't know her when she was like carrying a gun out onto the lawn and telling my white mother to get off her lawn. Right. That's a whole nother. That's a whole nother Mama Powell. Wow. Yeah. That's the Mama Powell that raised my father. So when my brother saying to my saying to me, this N word, that that N word, this, you know, he didn't he didn't care. He didn't da 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 da. He's going down this list. I'm like, bro, look, this is this. You have to have some empathy for him. You know, this is this is Mama Powell's son. This is Daddy Powell's son. He has a history. He didn't. He he maybe not didn't feel like he had room to 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 make a mistake. Would I? Would somebody come along and, and look at what he was doing and call him toxic? Probably, probably. But am I am I prepared to call him toxic? No, because I feel like a, like toxic is a is a white standard. I feel like I feel like mm. dysfunction is dysfunction for what? Dysfunction for a system that wasn't created for us in the first place? I, I'm not sure that that's dysfunctional. I think if you can get to get to a Du Boisian double consciousness, if you can understand that you know you're you're a you as an African person who's displaced and and you've been living in this country for you know for generations upon generations, then I think okay, now we can start talking about what it means to be functional in that situation. So when I said I wanted to go back to the literature, it's like I I think I need some other words to to mm. describe what I'm because I'm not disagreeing by any means. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With anything that's that's being said or or, or trying to refute anything, I'm just thinking. We're special. 
and, and and we have a special history and a unique history and we need to speak from that and use words that speak to that so otherwise we're sitting up here saying well you're dysfunctional oh really a dysfunction in the system that wasn't made for me to succeed in the first damn place screw you i'm not even trying to i'm not trying to do that so yes i do need to let go i do have like like douglas minute I, I have something get out let it go man let go of what you think it means to be so that we can build up so we can build so that we can create <clears throat> right not create using a white standard or what a standard of, of of you know being you know successful in this society means but now right. maybe even during COVID, maybe after like, we're moving out of COVID, hopefully but during COVID, we're like maybe we can actually do that reevaluation that everybody's supposedly doing but we can do it in such a way that it serves black folks and that comes from a, a perspective that is historically informed and yeah. psychologically informed because it makes me feel uncomfortable to think about my father as dysfunctional when he was this very functional human being. When he retired after 38 years of working in the park in the uh, Department of Corrections, he had a long line of people standing up at the at the speaker, you know, at the microphone, talking about how amazing he was. Mm. So was he dysfunctional? Was he was he toxic? Did he hurt? Did he experience pain? And then and did he express that pain in such a way that it also hurt other people? Absolutely. Did he express that pain in a, in a way that, that, that was, again, that hurt other people that probably wasn't the healthiest way? Then, then absolutely. Yeah. Did he hurt me? Absolutely. Do I love him? Absolutely. You know, and that the irony there, too, just the last thing I'll say, the irony of all this, that here it is, and I'll use my situation. I kind of hate using my situation, but I think it's kind of apropos in this particular situation, in this particular instance. And that is the irony that he, that the person who hurt me most is the person who has given me my strongest black identity the person who hurt me most is the person who who without whom I, I would i would probably be lost right i mean maybe that's stating is too strongly because now i think without my mother as douglas knows doug, doug knows my mother i mean without I'm okay her, I, that'd be it i'd be gone i'd be i'd be in the, me and my brother talk about it. we'd be in the gutter somewhere but did my father teach me how to work Stick to it, yeah. Did he teach me? Well, I'll never forget the one time he was like, I, I, I read something he wrote, and I said, why'd you capitalize black, the word black? Because I want to. And I didn't understand what he meant because I want to. <laughs> but what do I find myself doing? The reason I mentioned that is because it's clear in my memory because I was uh, talking to a, a student just the other day, a couple of weeks ago, and I was like, well, hey, look, if you're gonna use black and African or an African-American in the same paper, you might wanna make sure that, you know, you're gonna choose one that you're most comfortable with and think about, you know, philosophically where you're coming from that. No, by the way, it, it, either way, capitalize all of them. <laughs> and I'm just like, okay. <laughs> so, um, I love yeah, that. So I don't, I, that's, that's a tough one for me, the toxicity and the, and the, <sighs> and the dysfunction. No, but it's so important. And I think what it, and Doug and Cam know this because they worked with me before. I will always say I'm a high context person. And what you're describing is bringing all of the existence of Blackness in America, period, into context. That the reason why we show up the way we do, oftentimes from generation to generation, is because of all the things contextually that have informed our experience. So you can't just pull it out and say it's this one thing because this is what society is saying it is right now, or this is the catchphrase, right? It's because there's so many other pieces. And I was trying to remember why what you were sharing, Dr. Powell, sounded so familiar. And I just finished um, 
listening to Will Smith's audiobook, and he was saying a lot of the same things about his relationship with his father. That his father was very like militant, um, in that he was very regimented and very hard on his kids and wanted his kids to understand the value of hard work. But what that ended up being is thanks, Cam. It, what that ended up being is a product of um, you know, him not really setting the boundaries of what it means to to deliver and be be there for his family outside of the context of what his father framed for him. Um, and it didn't mean that he didn't value everything that he learned from his dad, that he really feels like that was a strong foundation for him, but he had to unlearn some of that behavior. Um, so I don't want to rush y'all, but I do have one more kind of important question before we wrap things up. Because can I can I attach something to that? What we oh, it's your show. I mean, I know, um, but I'm I'm also letting you you fully run this. Uh, shout out to Cam for putting Will Smith on uh, the the background there. Um, it made me what triggered in my head was like I, I've always heard this narrative out there as well. When you think about this, the toxic stuff and all this is like like oh well, I'm not trying to fix no man and 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 fix him in the sense of all his issues and all this stuff. Um, in the sense of the dynamics of what a relationship would be if two are are truly trying to come together. Um, one, that's that's looking at a relationship one-sided because you're like, oh, okay, I'm good. I'm, I'm interested in you, but I'm trying to fix you. But it's also being able, like we all work in education here, it's, it's meeting somebody where they're at and willing to say, I'm willing to continue to keep the road going. And that person having to say and willing to say the same thing of, I know there's some things that I need to work on and I would choose to work on them with you. You know, I love music. Music always comes to me. So I'm thinking about the Luther Vandross song. Um, I'd rather have bad times with you than good times with somebody else. And so there's really this dynamic. And I've seen this stuff on social media a lot over the last few years, uh, maybe even a decade, maybe where it's like, oh, well, I ain't trying to raise no kid and all this stuff and blah 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 and everything but if you're looking at this person there's some kind of inkling of an interest so are you willing to really go into the full pieces and help that person discover who they are to a better extent and also is that person willing because now if you go and try to get with a person who's who's not willing then it's just not going to work but if that person is willing then there is that dynamic of it can potentially work. But I know that's another of one of those dynamics when they throw out the toxic stuff. It's like, I hear a lot of women be like, well, I ain't trying to fix nobody and do all this stuff. But but yeah, just wanted to throw that out there. I don't know if we want to continue talking about that, but Nicole, you can touch on that. That's actually kind of a perfect segue, Doug. And, I, and I'll and i put in my little two cents uh, as the one. Oh, one. Your, your cents are never two cents. So, like, <laughs> dropping like $5 on the table. <laughs> And more just that I think when we're talking about those characteristics of toxic masculinity, which I know we said that we don't have a solid definition of what I've observed is that there are some men who define their masculinity based on its distance from femininity, right? Mm -hmm. So that things that show up as explicitly feminine can't be affiliated with being a man. And so those are those things like vulnerability, openness, being willing to communicate, right? And those things are not inherently feminine. Are they characteristics that women are socialized to value and shape? Yes, but that doesn't mean that men shouldn't have them or possess them as well. And that's where I think it becomes toxic. 
that's just me. But what I wanted to say was that, you know, with the the flip side version of the podcast where you were interviewing me and my friends, we talked a lot about relationships. So I did want to give a little bit of time to talk about that. And the, the biggest piece being that when it comes to relationships with between Black men and Black women, a lot of the plight of the singleness of Black women, which I'm a, a new member of the Black Single Black Woman Club, um, is often put on Black women as if it's something that we are doing wrong or something that we are perpetuating because we are too, insert word here, too independent, to whatever, too problematic, too demanding, too, uh, too superficial, etc. So I'm curious to know how y'all would like to weigh in on that particular component of the conversation. And that's kind of going. <laughs> Go ahead, Kim. <laughs> no, I just want to jump in real like because I have kind of like a um like a general like approach to this because I have seen um I have a song on one of my albums called 10 Years, Three Divorces. And um that's because over the over the course of 10 years. I experienced three divorces with my in within my family. My parents got divorced in 96. And by 2006, my parents had also two of them. My mom and my dad had gotten remarried and been divorced again. So um, it's funny because it's like my most streamed song like every month. And I'm like, why? But uh, the podcast episode. Right. <laughs> so this is this is this is how I approach that thought from the top and then moving through it. From the top, I feel like what we don't do enough as black men and women is approach a situation understanding that for the most part, we don't know what the hell we doing. I feel like black men going into the conversation and I'm, I'm gonna throw the name in there, Doug, coming in like Kevin Samuels, thinking that they know what they are talking about and they know what they know that they know that they know and they don't know a damn thing. And I feel like many black women. I love my black women. I come from a black woman. I'm gonna always ride for them. Even if they wrong or right, I'm a ride for black women. When they wrong, I'm a ride for them when they right. Cause they most of the time right. So I'm a ride for them regardless. But I think sometimes there's a lack of us as black men and women coming and saying, you know what? Ain't none of us really seen how it's supposed to go. So why are we talking to each other? Like we know, like, that's what I like. It's a lack of humility. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's like, it's like, look, I'll give you, a, I'll give you an example. And I'm not saying anybody's wrong for their perspective or their feelings or anything, but I feel like I've seen this conversation happen in my family, like my family get togethers. So I'm gonna speak on it. A black woman will come to the table and say, a, a man better be able to pay for everything I want. He better be able to pay for the mortgage, pay for the bills and do all that. And I take care of the house. But if he ain't got the money to pay for all that stuff, then I don't even know why he coming to the table trying to date somebody. I feel like in that moment, that woman is not thinking, why do I feel like it's important for a black man to pay for everything I want in my life? If you legitimately want that, okay. I'm not arguing with you, but explain it. How did you come to that conclusion? Did you just wake up one day and think, that I'm a grown ass person that everybody else should pay for? Why, right? If you're a black man and you say, my woman should make my plate, take care of my kids, 
do all the grocery shopping and iron my clothes and do all the and all of that that's a good woman. Have you ever thought to yourself why you define a good woman as that? Because if you haven't, then you're just talking. Like you're just saying stuff. So it's like that's what I'm saying. I feel like we don't. So I feel, and that's what you were saying, Doug. It's like we want to like social media. They'll just get on there and click, 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 and everybody needs to understand it. But nobody's taking a step back to say, you know what? Maybe I think that way because my dad growing up was broke as hell, and I don't want to live broke as hell with my man. So that's why I want him to pay for everything because then I don't have to worry about money and running out and eating, you know, frozen food for dinner. Like, but I feel like no one takes that moment to step back. And then I feel like you compounded with all the problems in black culture today of we already got to deal with society judging us and workplace judging us and drugs and violence and, you know, hip hop culture, everything dividing us. And I think it just gets worse. And so I think that when we have two people that can sit down and say, like, for example, my my dad did not have his his dad in his life growing up. So, and both of my parents are children of either divorce or fragmented families. So if they come to the table and they're trying to raise me and my brother and they don't acknowledge that I may have some baggage from this shit and you might have some baggage from this. So let's build a house acknowledging that neither one of us knows how to build on these things and we need to put some extra care on these areas, then what they're going to do is they're going to be speaking very, with a lot of conviction in a negative, like air from a negative space. And I feel like I saw that growing up. Like, it's like, I'm a father myself. I have a son. And some of the things that I tell my son, I have to take a step back and be like, okay, wait, wait, wait. Am I telling my son not to do this because some hood niggas back in 2001 told me that that's how men wear their shoes? Because if that's the case, I need to step back and check myself and then parent. And it feels wrong. I ain't gonna lie. Like, it feels wrong to be like, it feels wrong to be like, son, if, if, if this person wants to be called a they, they should you you call them a they because I'm not no disrespect to the elder generation of black people, but I've heard a few older black people say, Ain't nobody talking about no they, he, they, they, whatever. You are whatever you mama told you you was. Like that's what they say. So it's like well, we, that's what we was raised in. We was raised in that environment, most of us. So it's like that's what I'm saying. It's like we have to step back and be like, look, what are we really doing? Like, what are we really doing? Like, if if I want somebody to, if I want a woman, here's the thing. If I want a woman to take care of me and make my food, buy my groceries, clean my clothes, wash my laundry, all that. Maybe if I take a step back and I'm humble and I say to myself, maybe I want that because I grew up in a house with just me and my mom and my mom did that stuff for me. And that's what makes me feel loved. So. But, but is that right for a marriage? No, it's not because I don't need another mom. I need a wife. You see what I'm saying? So like, I feel like we're not approaching it. I feel like we already like 10 steps behind the starting line on both sides. And then we get to the starting line and then we let Instagram like dictate our rules. 
And I feel like it's just, it's terrible. Because we just be like, Kevin Samuels said, if you 30 and you ain't got a house, you can't have preferences for your relationship. It's like, okay, we, we already lost. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's how I feel. So, I don't know. I feel like we have to come from a place of humility on both sides before we can really have a real conversation. That's what I'll say. I'm, I'm going to hop in here real quick, and then, Matthew, you can go. I'm, I'm going to really be short this time. And, Cam, I, I, it was funny that you bring that up because I wrote this down on my notes um, earlier, like a few, uh, like a couple of minutes ago. One of the problems is assumed knowledge. There's too much assumed knowledge that somebody's supposed to have. And I'll just, I'll, I'll speak from the male perspective more than anything here. It's like often women assume that men are supposed to know things. And we don't. Like a lot of us are coming, like Cam said, from fragmented homes, from lessons told to th things told to you, but not explained to you. Like I think about my mom, my mom would say when we were uh, growing up, like save money, but never had a plan for uh, execution of how to save money. So uh, most men, I, I could say in the sense of uh, most of the men I've met in my life, a lot of well-to-do men, men who are in this room as well. We, we, we weren't really taught the, 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 the true game plan, the, the blueprint of what we talked about earlier to execute these things so if you're not like cam said if you're not fully coming to the table to say okay i i know how to do this 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 and this but i don't know how to do this 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 and this uh go ahead nicole i'm raising my hand because doug what households do you think black women are coming from no 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 true no i'm, I'm about to get to that i'm about to touch on that so i'm about to I'm about to touch on that so because it's on both sides like cam said it's coming on both sides i'm not saying it's it's, it's not from either side because it's not natural in the sense what the expectations that some men have are not what women have in the sense of the way that they were taught and of these things. And you have to understand, as, as Cam was touching on and, and going into a little bit of the Kevin Samuels thing, like, yeah, OK, you can have that goal of like, I want a man to do this, this, this and this. But know that there comes some consequences of things that you won't fully get. Like, I remember him talking about, like, in one of those instances of a woman, one and all that, he's like, well, you got to be comfortable with him never being home, him potentially having other women. Like, if that's what you want, if that's what you're signing up for, that's what the, in a sense, side of that kind of life is. But when you're coming to a table, because a lot of people don't come to the table fully themselves. We talk about the vulnerability and all this stuff. We're just trying to show, like, social media are perfect sides. We only want to show the glam. We only show what's good. But you can't walk into a house and assume that somebody knows how to fix windows and all the windows are out. And then you're going to get mad because they don't know how to fix the windows, but you assume that they know how to fix the windows, but they didn't share that they didn't know how to fix windows. So you're just going into this, this rapid thing of, of all this stuff. Are you getting mad at her because she didn't learn how to, she don't know how to cook. But then you didn't know, you didn't really learn, really learn that she had to raise the rest of her siblings and get other people in order and that fully development of cooking or cleaning or whatever you expect her to do is there's no gender basis for chores and responsibilities. That's what a lot of people have to break down and see and get out of your head. You're letting TV dictate things to you too often. I'll say this, I'll say this real quick, Doug. And then I know I want to, we want to make sure Dr. Powell gets, I feel like, People don't take a moment to ask themselves where their beliefs come from. 
boom, right there. That's what it's like. Why? Like, where did you get it from that a woman's supposed to do the laundry? Where? Like, where'd you she get it from? She get it from her mama. As music no, no, it's like, did you get it from your Mima in, in 1992? Because she didn't have a full-time job and Zoom meetings and, like, a master's degree. So, like, where did you get it from? That's, the, that's all I'm going to say. It's like, and I feel like self-awareness. I'm going to end that self-awareness. It's self-awareness. Yeah, well, I like that. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Nicole. I was just going to say, the, the reason I asked you that question, Doug, is because I think, you know, Black women are coming from similar backgrounds, right? Mm-hmm. Like I was raised by a single mom. And to Matthew's earlier point about his seeing his Black female students succeed at rates that are higher than his Black male students, we're trying to figure it out, too. And in, and for whatever reason, we are able to figure certain things out a little bit faster or more consistently. What is that characterized by? Like, I think it's less that we think y'all should know it already but y'all should be willing to figure it out like we figured it out that part that part that that mm-hmm. that as as what schoolboy q said that part snap it up snap yeah, it up. i don't know if i'm gonna add anything more to that except i really um appreciate what and this and this is kind of unfair actually as a historian because i appreciate what um dr parker cameron was saying about uh we got to figure out you know where is that coming from where is that desire where is that that thought that you think that you have, where, that you, th- I'm saying it that way on purpose, that you think that you have. It's not even your thought by the time, by the time you start to, you know, voice it. It, it is something, somebody else's thought from decades upon decades ago that, that you're putting into action. And the reason I say that is because I'm frustrated by this topic because I, I remember um, speaking to my father. My father was one of these people who had the television on all the time. You would walk into the house, there'd be nobody else there, but the television would be bland. And um, and I one, remember walking into the house one time and there's community television on. And um, these sisters were sitting around a table talking about men, basically having this conversation, but it was women having the conversation. And I will never forget, it was the first time I heard, I must have been a teenager, it was the first time I heard uh, a woman say, I'm not going to date no garbage man. I'm not going to date no uh, whatever, you know, county worker or some kind of thing like this. And I was like, I was taken aback. I was like, I thought garbage men make good money. Like, <laughs> I didn't even, <laughs> I didn't even know. I was, I was, I was, I was confused. And then this real, like, one of the finest women, just women. Period. Girl, she's a young lady. I'm talking about high school. So she was a young lady, one of the finest women at the at the at the high school. She was black, but she and she was one of the finest women. Period. As long as she was one of the finest black women. I remember I came home from college one time and um and we got together and I was like oh my god like wow you know who who would have thunk you know because in high school I was like totally you know thinking that she totally quote unquote out of my league and all this kind of stuff but wow we hung out for a while and then she was telling me I don't date anybody who doesn't make six figures and I was like well, that's not me. Like, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not and, and I mean, I was in college and I didn't think that I was going to be making space. I wasn't even thinking about money. I was just thinking about, you know, black history and doing what I wanted to do, doing what I wanted to, like loving what I do. Well, I say that, I say that to say that, you know, ever since the, the period of enslavement, black folks have been emulating whiteness. Even, even the uh, enslaved, we're, we're mimicking in the slave quarters what they thought was happening in the big house. And um, 
and 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 it was a terrible detriment and that's happens this is that's been going on that happened for over 200 years 300 years and and um and then there's the the period of of apartheid after where where black men had very little agency um and and um and 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 black maleness was was under attack the beginning the black maleness was under attack in a way that we are more familiar with today so you know hearing about like television and social media and that kind of, that's just slavery modern day slavery in my mind mm. that's just modern day ways of, of conveying um to a people who who have not stopped and done what dr parker is saying stopped and done what dr whitner is saying and what mr phoenix is saying what and, and said okay why do i think what i think why am i feeling this way why do do i look at this person who i otherwise love and enjoy being around and why do i feel a certain way when she says something says a certain something or does a certain something or doesn't do a certain something and then then, then to do what dr parker's talking about and have that humility and understand i'm not here to have all the answers and nobody taught me all the answers for crying out loud. I know that already. And we all, it's a weird thing too, because it's crazy to me in a way, because it's, it's weird how we can sit there and talk about the man and we can talk about how the system is not designed for it, but we all of a sudden forget about that when it comes to the, 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 the everyday workings of relationships. Like nobody taught your ass that you were, that you were, that this is, this is how it works. And if they did, then question them. And questioning doesn't mean you don't love them. Right? The question I mean doesn't mean that, that that my father didn't hand down good things to me. It, it doesn't mean that that he knew what he was doing going back to the beginning of our conversation. No, he didn't know what he was doing. He didn't have the playbook. He didn't have the blueprint. Right? He's just like every other parent trying to figure it out. But for black folks, it's it's a special thing. We we want we understand we're special. We understand that we have that we're trendsetters. We understand that that it's glaring when we see when we see general white culture doing things that came directly from us. I mean, it's glaring. You're just like, you don't even know where you got that from. But I know where you got that from. And I'm seeing you play it out and you're acting like as if it's yours. Like we were kind of what we were talking about yesterday, Doug. You're like, like you want everything. Like Richard Pryor says, you got dreams and we want, we want them too. Like, wow. So, so you know that yet, you you want to sit back and think that you know everything that you that you have everything to contribute and that you and that you you judge yourself really by a, a, a tape of whiteness that if something is not happening in a certain way then somehow it's wrong or that you receive something from a black person and that i you know i'm it, it's a confusing thing for me and i think that it's um and I think it's a, and it frustrates me as I, as I said at the outset because it's been going on for a long time, and I, and I'm just hoping that there's at some point we just sit down and just go, okay, this is not working, this is not working. We only have a, a certain small amount of folks who are doing quote unquote well, who have the advanced degrees, who have a degree of security, who have financial security of some sort, who have a uh, help. Uh, 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 physical health, who have access to this kind of stuff, we need to be doing something else. And, and, and thinking that we have all the answers is not the right way to go. Sit down, be humble, period.
right back to back to Kendrick. I mean, it's a it's a um, that what you're saying, Doctor Parker, really really I think is is powerful because that way. Last thing I'll say. I mentioned martial arts before, and one of the things I think is very powerful about the martial arts. There's many things, especially I think that could serve black people real well. Not to mention just basic self-defense because we need it desperately these days. Well, always have. But one is, is basically just sitting back and saying, okay, I'm in pain. And the reason I'm acting out is because I'm in pain. And what I can do is I can address this situation and I can also leave a whole person. I can leave whole. I can leave feeling good about what I just did. I can protect myself and I can protect the person with whom I'm speaking, with whom I might be in conflict. Right. And I can walk away being whole. I don't have to feel like I lost. I'm not trapped. I don't have to feel like I lost. I can walk away with dignity. We talked about, how, yeah. So I, I just think that there's got to be a way uh, because otherwise we're going to continue being frustrated. We're going to continue emulating. And emulating is a losing is a losing battle. And when we emulate, oh, I thought that this was going to be the last thing I said, sorry. And when, when we emulate, the other thing too is that we're ridiculed when we emulate. And that's been the case forever. We're washed like a hawk, like, oh, we, it's almost this feeling of illegitimacy. You know, we, we might have a, a, an imposter complex, an imposter syndrome or whatever, but they, they, they got it bad because they're like, you don't even belong here and we're just going to make fun of you. And we're going to sit up here and watch you mess up. And when you do, we can be like, mm -hmm, yeah, we knew that was going to happen. And we got to carry that around. But the thing is, you, you, don't need to, you don't need to own it. You don't need to own it. It's not ours. It's theirs. So why not think of something new? You can do whatever you want. You've been making lemonade. Shoot, make some more. Well, and that's um, where that vulnerability piece comes in that we need for relationships, for growth, for future. Because when those attacks come, if all we know is rage and violence, that doesn't solve the thing. Because then you just, okay, there's an angry black man. You know, this, that, and the third. Reputation happens, all of this stuff. And so that's where that that vulnerability aspect comes and can i interrupt douglas yeah you know because the thing too that i'm thinking about when i'm thinking about history is i'm also thinking about the moments in history when 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 we had movements you know strong movement and and what do we have in in, in attendance with those movements we had homophobia we had um uh, gender bias we had um we had uh, uh um, uh, real strong patriarchy, right? Black Panthers, SNCC, even in the uh, the earlier civil rights movements, those are those are where, where where black men would would say the only position for a woman in this organization is prone, right? Or in the kitchen. Come on, this is not. And then where black men would say, "Black men first, and then you all can get yours." This is not. That's not. That's, that's, you can't. You can't hold up a queen. You know, and then on one hand, and then hold up a hoe on the other hand, and say that they're the same person. I mean, this is not that's not working. They, they, you can't have the okay, queen. You you're gonna get yours, but hoes no. Mm -mm. So this is this has been going on for a long time, and and so that so to have that humility is sometimes a very difficult thing during movements when you have to when you have to assert yourself, and and irony of all ironies, so many black women have been at the forefront of of change for black people over the years. And what have we done? We've pushed them, you know, in the history books, we've pushed them to the back. And in our, and in our popular culture, we've pushed them to the back. 
uh, that, that's not sustainable. I feel like that's the thing that strikes me the most is just, at least as a Black woman, I feel like universally what we continue to try to do is fight for ours, right? Fight for our own, fight for our community, for that, you know, nuclear family, all that, whatever it is, in spite of all of that. And, you know, I, I said in the previous episode that the whole mantle of the strong Black woman was something that was put upon me. It's not something I picked up and said, I'm ready to carry this. It was just something that came with showing up the way I show up. And so, you know, it's interesting that you kind of close with that, Dr. Powell, because I feel like it's something that I can't shake. It doesn't matter how many ways I feel like I'm burned or that I don't feel like I get the same love back with from my community. My community is still my community and I'm still going to show up for it. So I don't have a, a, a neat bow to wrap things up with, but I know we've been talking for a while. I could keep going and going because y'all are wonderful, intelligent Black men to speak to. But I'm going to hand it back to the, the host of the podcast, Mr. Phoenix. Um, yeah, on, on that note, uh, me and Matthew were actually just talking about this yesterday. And I think this is going to come, this is going to trickle into a future podcast episode, even when I'm thinking about with another friend. Nicole, what you touched on and what Matthew touched on that, I was, I was told Matthew yesterday, I was just like, I, I'm actually tired of hearing the uh, the speech that comes in, especially it comes from a lot of athletes, I'd say, and black male athletes are like, oh, you know, I got my work ethic. Like, I saw my mom. She was strong. She, like, fought through everything. She did this and did that. But it's like, that's not the mantle we should be toting, like, because that's a struggle. Like, we've glorif we glorified it now. Of like, oh, like, this is my mom. She did this. And, you know, this, that, and third. Like, a lot of help is being there, but it's not being expressed. But we flipped it. To say, oh, that's a good thing. She struggled. Why? It's like uh, I think uh, Nicole shared a, a meme with us a while back, and it was like, like a black woman, like in the water, like just her hand is out, and they're like, oh, don't worry, like you got it, or something like that. Um, that's not a mental black women or women in general are trying to hold. Well, like, real, quick, real quick, real quick, Doug. Like I think it's deeper than just in our culture because. Oh yeah. What are, what are we fed in, in pop culture? Mm -hmm. How many movies have you seen about a black person doing something that people that are, I'm going to just say people that are not black do every day, but the black person had to go through 18 different hurdles to get there, right? Like you see a movie about a black woman who becomes a judge in, in L.A., and there are 27 judges in LA that are not of color and they just went to school, graduated, became a lawyer, was a lawyer for 15 years, became a judge, and they've been a judge for 20 years. But that black woman, she had to struggle through school because she couldn't find financial aid. And then she had to make it to her a bar exam when her car broke down and then she had to get there and do all and then guess what she is she's just a judge like everybody else and then you know what but but this is what people don't understand and i'm not saying this for the people in this room i'm saying this for the people that look at that story what people don't understand is that that black woman or that black person that man that woman is probably the only judge in their family 
So Auntie Julie, who's a judge, is the only one that all the kids can look at and say is a judge, went to law school, got a good car, got a good house. And when we go to Auntie Julie's house for Christmas, it's nice over there because she a judge. You see what I'm saying? But when you look at people not of color, it's a judge in a family, a doctor, a dentist, uh, uh, you know, chief of police, uh, uh, a vice president of students at, you know, Westland College, like all of these things, all of these things. And so the kids in that family are looking at these people like, oh, yeah, you know, my uncle is a chief of police in uh, Toledo, Ohio. Like that's that's he's the chief of police. That's normal to them. Mm-hmm. It's not just Auntie Julie, who's the the one person in our family that may, you know what I'm saying? And so, like, I look at um, movies like Men of Honor with Cuba Gooding Jr., right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and I'm not trying to make light of this man's story because it's, it's an incredible story. But Men of Honor is about a man trying to be a diver. <laughs> he's literally just trying to be a diver. That's all he's trying to do. Like, he's not He's not trying to be the president. He's not trying to, like, be, you know, like, the the. he's not trying to win an Academy Award. He's literally just trying to be a Navy diver. That's it. A job that a lot of us don't even want. Like, we don't want that job. None of us want to go into the depths of the ocean to recover stuff where you could die. Like, we don't want to do that. <laughs> Racism was so was so dedicated that they were like, we don't even want we don't even want to let you risk your own life. (laughs) No, no. If you're gonna die in the navy, you better be white. Like it's crazy. But (laughs) I'm I know I'm making I'm it's it's funny when you think about it, but he lost a leg. (laughs) They were still like we were alert. We still don't want you to do it. Like, we don't care. You can lose a leg. You still can't dive handicapped and black. Like, it doesn't <laughs> matter. And so, like, what I'm saying is, like, we we look at it, like, speaking to Nicole's point of, like, being a, like, strong black woman. It's like, we get marketed that we're supposed to be the ice skating uphill to get to what everybody else just walked to. Mm. Like everybody else just walked to this line, but we had to run, jump, juke five people and do all that stuff just to get here and to just sit in, you know what I'm saying? And that was the line in Queen and Slim. Why do black people always got to be exceptional? Why can't we just Mm -hmm. be regular? Mm -hmm. Well, and here's the other thing too. I I think this is a controversial point I think, in in Black America, has been since probably the 1970s. And it's a little bit related to what you're saying, Nicole, and what you're saying, Dr. Parker and Dr. Whitner. Um, So I don't believe, again, I'm saying this is a controversial point, I think. I don't believe that you need a Black man in the house to raise a strong Black man. Strong, whatever that means. I, I just don't believe it at all. You know, if the divorce rate, I don't know what the divorce rate is, but if the divorce rate in, in white America is at 50% or just above 50%, 
Why is it that we have to be any different? Why can't we have it? This is going to be what sounds kind of strange. Why is it that we can't have a divorce rate that's 50% but still have, but still have, you know, all the other measures of success in terms of, you know, you know, money, job, education, whatever. You don't, I don't need my father in the house. As a matter of fact, as I said before, I would rather him not be in the house. But one of the things that my brothers and I did do talk about or have talked about is that my father was present. He didn't leave us. He moved like a mile and a half away. In the house, hell no. Get out. In my life, thank you. So these are different things. We don't need a nuke. I don't believe we need a quote unquote nuclear family. What happened to the village? We sit up here. Again, it's this irony. It's just like, Oh, it takes a village. It takes a village. Oh, you're just rendering that. That Now that's just a, a, a platitude. That's just a, a, a non-saying now to me because now you're talking about how we need a black man in the house to raise a strong black man. Give me a break. Which is it? Which is it? So, you know, I just facts. think these are... These... Facts. Facts. <laughs> facts. So it's just a I think I think again once again we get we're I feel like I'm back to the point where we all need to black folks need to sit down and have continue having these conversations and reevaluate who it is we were who it is we are who who do we want to be and throw white America to the side and, and and throw all those standards to the side a garbage man bring bring me my garbage man please I mean you know a doctor doctors these days are having a really hard time. Like, you really want to marry a doctor? Doctors are feeling, you know, disaffected and disenchanted and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Is that something that you want right now? Um, so anyway, I, I just think that, you know, yeah, we, we're sitting up here and we, we're, we're held to a different standard. I'm not sure that we need to be anymore. I'm not sure that we need to hold ourselves to a different standard. I mean, we, we, we can be the diver with a broken leg. And, and, or did he lose a leg? I didn't. I saw, I saw the movie, but that was a while back. You're bringing back old stuff, bro. <laughs> in any case, I just think these for me, when, when, I, when, I, when I'm in these conversations, when I hear these conversations, it's really beautiful for me because it brings up these ironies. And, and, um, and I'm just thinking that we're better than all of the above. I've seen evidence that black folks are better than all of the above. And I think that we're better than white culture. Why? Because we have more to offer. And we're putting together all kinds of cultures, right? We, we're, the, we're the ones who who put together black, black music, black religion, right? I mean, we put it all together. It took white, we took what white, the best of what white culture had, to, had and, then we, and then we added what we know and, and it came out even better. Why not, why not take the village and make that even better, right? My dad, my dad said something that I think was like super deep that um, I think it, it kind of speaks to, you know, why we, haven't done certain things after a certain generation. So my dad was born in 1960. He was raised during that 60 to 1980 push of Black is Beautiful. And he went to Sac State and he said something to me that like, because my dad used to be, my, my dad is, excuse me, my dad is pro-Black. So he used to wear certain things like he, he wore the, you know, Kente medallion and the racism hats and all those things. And, you know, I asked my dad one time when I was probably in like high school, I was like, you know, I, I just don't feel like black people are like conscious anymore because my dad was 
we was watching a different world and it was like conscious messages. And, you know, my dad had, you know, shirts that were like, you know, fight this and do all that stuff. And I was like, I just don't feel like black people are doing that nowadays. And my dad was like, this was an experience that like he saw cut into like the 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 fight the power mentality that black people had. He was like, so the most dangerous thing to a movement is comfort. And he said, he said, I went to school with a lot of brothers that were marching, fighting. BSU was powerful. We wanted change. We wanted to end apartheid. We wanted to do all of that stuff. He was like, you know what happened? They graduated from school and they got state jobs and they started making good money and they got benefits and they were able to take care of their families. Were they equal? No, because they still dealt with racism at work. They still dealt with the glass ceiling, but they made enough money to be able to own a house, pay their bills comfortably, travel, buy their kids things they never had when they were growing up, all of that stuff. And he was like, I remember driving past the state building because, you know, Sacramento has a big state employee workforce. He's like, I remember driving past the state building. And at that time, you had to take a, a test to be a state employee. And so there would be a line like wrapped around the building. And he was like, I saw so many of my activist friends in that line. And they got the jobs and they were making 70, 80K a year at that time in the 90s, which was good money. And in Sacramento or wherever surrounding. And he was like, and that's what happened to that pro-black movement. So you don't have to fight for more if you have enough. Like you don't want equal if you got more than your mom was starving. And now you can afford to eat a couple of steaks, even if you're not evil, able to shop at the restaurants that the other people shop at. You could still eat some good food. And so that to me, like that changed my life. Like I understood, like it was like, okay, because we do have a lot of luxuries. And it's like when 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 he told me that, I was like, damn, like, you know, we were fighting to be able to go to college with other people. And now we can go to Stanford. So it's like, but are we equal? Black kids deal with a different Stanford than white kids deal with. But we could be there. So what's the fight? Like, what are we really doing? So, you know, I just feel like the fire of the fight and the, you know, the 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 moxie of like understanding that, like, we can create our own culture. We can say a split family doesn't mean a broken family. And you mentioned the 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 the, you know, the community, you know, the you know, community raises a child. It's like, yeah. But that was when I feel like that happened a lot when people were like, we need a community because we don't have the support from the world around us. But now it's like, well, you know, I got a good job. So why can't you send your kids to an outreach program that helps them? You know what I'm yeah. saying? Just yeah, I can corroborate. I can corroborate that your father's experience, by the way, in my, my peer group. I mean, and I won't say how close my peer group is to your father's <laughs> peer group, but it's pretty darn. Pretty darn. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, another thing, too, but just real quick to that point. Yeah, what is community? What is the village? You know, what are, what, how do we, and how do we create that? And, and, uh, and, and even if we did want to, yeah.
Well, and that's and that's that other piece, and and as I mean, you know, we could talk forever. So mm -hmm. uh, I feel like this will have to be a part two. Ooh, Nicole, maybe we even like do a, a bigger one with your friends. So let's, down. Let's let's. You gotta you got you gotta make sure you 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 gotta make sure you sort them personalities though, because. Look, all I'm going to say is we got to make sure the time is right. That's all I'm saying. Well, I would say, too, I would say, too, as somebody who's facilitated conversations uh, with a bunch of black folks in the room about black men and black women, boy, the moderation has got to have a firm touch. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because things will be said. And people will be, mm, 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 mm. I think I can do it. I think I can do a good job. Uh -huh. I'm pretty sure you could. <laughs> so, so with that community, and I think a lot of this goes back to as I do wrap, put the bow on here. I'll rebow it as Nicole put the first bow, and we're gonna put the second bow on it. Um, define, define what you, whatever your thing is. Please define it. If it's community, what does community look like for you? The, the three people in this Zoom room right now, that's part of my community. They all have special attributes and things and how we serve one another. It's not a one-way street. Um, it's like I've I've told a lot of, and I tell people nowadays, because even like you talk about Matthew, like the the, the white culture of, of what we, we can measure ourselves to. I don't call nobody my best friend. I don't. Like, I really, like, I have really good close friends. I don't do the whole BFF, oh, this is my BFF and all this stuff. I don't, I don't do that. And that's the same reason and, and not no knocking of anything. It's like my my brothers who, in a sense, are half brothers. Those are my brothers. They're, they're just my brothers. Like, there's like, I don't like I don't I never I, I still need to do the looking up of the origin of half and all this stuff. And but those those are my brothers. And so I get to determine my sense of community. Like you were talking about, like your dad, Matthew, capitalizing black. I lowercase a on America on purpose, and I'll let the autocorrect correct it. I ain't doing it. So that's my own choice. So it's really developing these tools and things that we need for ourselves. So vulnerability. I was just looking up right now. I was like, I was. I went because we were starting talking about divorce and all this stuff. I started to look it up. The uh, divorce numbers are very interesting. Um, it's not at the 50% that most people think, but even when I did my research in grad school, when I did my, uh, my master's project on this, it's hard to tell the diverse divorce rate because people get divorced in certain years. That's not the same number as the next year. So it's not like, oh, the people who got the married in 2019 are the same people getting divorced in 2024. So it's, it's hard to, to say that number, but it was saying that right now the divorce rate is about 2.7 divorces per thousand people. Um, and that the divorce rate is actually under decline. Um, and on this website, it's going into a whole, there's, there's a whole lot of stuff here. I might have to do something on this. But with that said, vulnerability, being open. And if you're not willing, if you're not, whatever kind of, whatever background you're coming from, if you're not willing to be vulnerable and open with somebody to your true self, don't step to any table. Just don't. Do that work that you need to. All of us in this room, are at where we're at. Maybe you're listening to this like, man, there's some very insightful people. I wish I could be there. You can. You just got to do some work and it's going to be some ugly work that you're going to have to face. All of us have done work on ourselves and seen things about ourselves that we don't like. We've seen things about ourselves and learned things about ourselves that other people didn't value, who we thought valued us. And all of that stuff comes and it's not always pretty, but it's worth it somewhere down the road. That's all. That's what I'm learning currently. Um, with that said, 
so many wonderful people. I love all of you. So as as I accustomedly close out the, the show, I want to know what all three of you are digging on currently. Just something in your life that you are digging on. Um, I, it looks like Nicole is ready. So I will, I will go. Nope. Not. Nope. I mean, I was just watching the uh, HBO series, The Staircase. So, you know, me and my true crime. Um, I'm always digging on true crime. Be on the lookout. Nicole has something in the works coming in the podcast world. That's all I'm gonna say. That's all I'm gonna say. Like you gonna you gonna be just be on the lookout. Uh Cam, what you digging on, bro? Man, um, I'm just I'm I'm loving the conversation. I feel like um I feel like it would be very interesting to have some beautiful black women in this conversation. <laughs> Um, like I, I agree with Dr. Powell. You got to have a good moderator though, because I feel like this, this is what I love about my black peoples. We passionate and we a little sensitive. So, and, and I say that because I have had so many family get togethers where we talk about deep topics and boy, we ain't talking about the real topic. We talking about my uncle Daryl. Back in 1987, walked out and left you with the PG&E bill at $600, and you figured out how to pay it as a strong black woman. So, like, that's what I'm trying. Like, that's what I'm saying. It's like we. That's what we're talking about. We not. So, I feel like I love this conversation, and like I said, I just feel like I just feel like humility, man. Like, I'm I'm gonna speak personally, just for myself specifically for one of the few times tonight, when I, when I approach situations where I'm having conversations with black men and women about relationships, about love, about life, about all that stuff, I always start the conversation, even with my kids. I start the situation and I say, I'm not speaking because I'm an expert. I'm speaking more from having got it wrong enough to know what right is. And also if I'm doing it right, I'm still human enough to understand that there will be some days where I get it wrong. And I will say to to wrap it all up, I will say that what I've experienced in black culture from parents, just my experience, is that black parents don't always they're not always talking to you from a place of. I messed up. I'm trying to help you. They talk to you from I'm the parent, you the kid, you're going to do what I say. And I'm the I'm the ruler of the rulers of the rulers, period. Like you'd be like, mama, but I just heard you lie to Auntie Auntie Ann <laughs> last week. And they'd be like, You ain't heard me lie to nobody. Shut your little ass up and get in the room. Like that's how black parents, you know what I'm saying? And I feel like that we gotta change that. We gotta be like, look, here's how human I am. And like my dad, my grandmother told me uh, a few months ago, my grandmother told me that my dad used to have to drive his, my grandfather, his dad, home when he would show up at their house drunk. So keep in mind, my dad didn't have a relationship with his dad, but they lived in the same city. He used to have to drive his dad home when he was too drunk, just showing up at his house. And that's the relationship he had with his father. But he raised me fully involved, fully coming to my games, giving me life lessons on being a man, on being a black man and my black consciousness, all this. I didn't learn that he was living with that pain until I was in my 30s. So it's just like, Dr. Powell, what you were saying, like, 
that's my grandmother's son, not just my dad. So I had so much more grace for my father because my dad was strict on me. My dad was like, look, this is how you're going to be. And this is how I expect you to be. And this is how I expect you to be in the world. But he never had a man to tell him that. So it's like I had my imagine if I would have learned that at 17, I would have been able to accept my dad and not be like, why are you being so hard on me? You know what I'm saying? Like, I would have been able to be like, wow, like I got a dad and you you had to drive your dad, the dad who did not talk to you, show up at your house and you got to drive him home drunk. We don't even like driving our friends home drunk. You know what I'm saying? So I just feel like humility um, in relationships, parenthood, um, and just in, in life, like dealing with other black people, just being like, look, man, like it's three doctors on this call. Doug, you got your master's. Like, we're not going to short that. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, but if if we're talking to a young man who's getting it wrong, having the humility to be like, look, man, I was one left turn away from being where you at. And then we could have a whole different conversation. We we used to uh, we used to make them guys give us gas money. If you gonna, <laughs> if I'm gonna drive you home, you better try and give me some gas money, particularly if your ass is drunk. <laughs> um. Well, this is gonna sound cheesy. What am I digging on? Yeah. Really, the present moment. I mean, that's my uh, mm. that's my big goal, right? It's a dig on the present moment at all times. And really, when it comes down to this kind of stuff, I really have, I am immensely privileged to be able to study and to be able to um, make a living from and to be able to study what it means to be Black and study black people and to study and to just and to be in conversation with and about black folks because um i just think i just really feel privileged it's just it was a dream of mine back in the day and um i mean it was a dream i've since jumped since i had my friends back in the day were like asking me how the revolution was mm. my friends were asking me talking to me about the all african people's revolutionary party and my my friends were and, and, and during that time, you know, that uh, Dr. Parker was talking about, you know, where people were wearing African medallions and, and that kind of stuff. And I took that to heart. And I, so I, I, I decided to study. And um, so it's an, an immense privilege to be, to be on this podcast with you, Douglas, um, particularly as somebody who, you know, was literally in my class and um, who was, I remember, who said, I'll never forget this, you're like, I'm on fire. And I was like, yeah, you are. You just, you're, you're that. And somebody who has helped already. So just, a, you know, you, I can go down the list of stuff, you know, all the stuff that you've built and what you've done for yourself and, and, and how you have, I've seen you learn to love yourself more and, and grow and all that. So for me, this is just a lot of fun. And, and again, it's an immense privilege. I also feel like, like, People don't know what it is, what kind of privilege it is to know yourself through your community, to know yourself through your people. You know, I, I, like I said, I had a conversation with my cousin. My, I guess she's my second cousin or something like that. You know, like I said, 85 years old. I mean, wow, this is this is, you know, there's nothing better. There's nothing better. Um, so, what am I digging on? I'm digging on 
on being who I am and being what I am and 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 um and being around people like yourselves is just a real privilege. So thank you very much. Oh, man. Um Nicole makes me better. <laughs> you <can> so <start> extra. <laughs> Adjudicate. <laughs> That is, that is definitely an inside joke for for those who are listening. Um, Nicole, thank you so much for uh, for taking the reins. Um, this is seriously my pleasure. This is great. This is, this is what we're gonna have to have you again, um, and, and you can lead. So, and I, I do want to work on. We'll have to get together. I want I want to work on this. Uh, bringing them both both sides together, um, so we we can figure that out. Thank you so much to everybody in this room, Zoom room, listening. Uh, to those who are listening, uh, thank you for listening. I hope this sparked something in you to share with with others and, and share with yourself. Um, there's so much growth and everything that comes from this, and I literally can't wait to figure out what the name of this episode is going to be. I don't know yet. Um, so that is going to be a great time. Thank you all for listening. Uh, you know, like, share, subscribe, uh, share this with everybody. Uh, those listening across in different countries, thank you for listening as well. Uh, this has been a Dig on Duck podcast. Keep on digging, y'all. Peace out. <laughs>